Grace Church. My name is Justin Ross, one of the pastors here at Grace, and we are in week two of a three-week series called Love Does. And last week, we talked about that word neighbor. We saw in the video of, of a woman incredibly, uh, in incredible ways with great bravery reaching out to her neighbors. And uh, but last week, we saw from the story of Jesus Christ of the Good Samaritan that the neighbor is not necessarily just the one that lives right next door to you. The word neighbor is, is, is such a big, wide gap. It's, it means people. It means that person that looks completely opposite uh, from you. It, it means the person that maybe you don't get along with. It means the person that thinks differently and votes differently and acts differently than you. Love your neighbor means to love people. And we've been asking this question, what is love? And this morning, Paul answers this question for us. Paul, who wrote many of of the books in in the New Testament, he answers this question for us. And he answers it in a letter that he was writing to the church in Corinth. And let me just remind you that this letter that he was writing is very old, okay? It's over 2,000 years old. But you're going to see this morning that the words that that we read apply to us today. That's what makes the Bible so incredible. You need to read it for yourself. It's that good. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, Paul answers the question. So what is love? Paul says, love is this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to unpack these words, this definition that the Apostle Paul gave us of what love truly is. We're going to talk about what love is, what love is not, and we're going to talk about what love does. And so let's talk about that first word that we saw, love is patient. The fastest man in the world in the 100 meters and the 200 meters is a Jamaican runner by the name of Usain Bolt. Okay, how many of us have heard of this guy? All right, pretty much all of us. All right, Usain Bolt is incredibly fast. Fastest guy in the world. A few years ago, Usain was in a race and uh, he was ready to go. Okay, he was in the starting blocks. I didn't run track, so you're going to have to bear with me as I try to demonstrate this, okay? But he was in the starting blocks. I can barely bend down here. <laughs> and he, he, was ready, he was ready to run. He was ready to go. And the guy that's shooting the gun to signal the start of the race, he was ready to, to shoot the gun to, for the race to start. And Usain, Usain Bolt, you can watch this on YouTube, it was the second time, but he actually jumped the gun. He went before the gun sounded. And you can hear the man on the intercom calling all the racers back. But immediately, Usain Bolt, he takes off his jersey and he puts his hand or his head in his hands because he knew that he had been disqualified from the race. Patience is the art of knowing how to wait for it. You see, there's so much confusion around the word patience. A lot of times people think patience is like you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs and it's like, oh my gosh, like I'm waiting, I'm patient, you know. But no, patience is you're actually ready to run a race. Like you are ready to go. 
You are amped up. You've prepared. You've trained. You are, you are the athlete ready to run the race, but it's the art of knowing how to wait for it. You see, many of us, we, we jump the gun, don't we? I jump the gun. I don't, I don't know this art very well. We don't see what God is doing. Instead, we, we jump the gun and we say, I've got to tell you where you're wrong, right? Instead of waiting for God to, to work in your life, I, I have to try to fix you. I have to tell you where you're wrong. I've, I've got to tell you my opinion. I've got to tell you what I think you should do. Or I have to try to manipulate so that you actually serve me. Like instead of waiting for God to work, waiting for His Spirit to uh, transform a heart or transform a mind. We, we jump in and we try to do it ourselves. We jump to conclusions without having all the facts or the knowledge to make a good decision. What about those of you that are single here this morning? Boy, it's, it's, it's the art of knowing how to wait for it, to wait for God to bring that right man or that right woman into your life. But many times we jump the gun and so we jump into that relationship that you know is not right for you. See, we don't, we don't wait for it. We, we jump the gun. What about those of you as parents? You know, maybe, maybe you're dealing with a, a rebellious child, a child, man, you, you are at your wit's end. You, you don't know what to do, where to go, what, to, you know, and, but gosh, you're patient. You're, you're waiting for it. You're trusting God. Patience, the art of knowing how to wait for it. Let me ask you, how patient are you? Really, it's, it's the ability to trust God, to know that, man, God is he's going to give me clarity on the next step to take. But oftentimes, we, we jump the gun. We try to take matters into our own hands. Can you wait for it? Can you wait for it? Just hold, wait for it. Paul also says that love is kind. Here's what kindness is. Kindness is an abundance that meets a need. Okay, it's an abundance that meets a need. You see, kindness, it it sees a deficiency and it helps to lift up that deficiency, whatever it is. Kindness lifts up. When you see someone who is down, It's kindness that actually goes towards that person and offers that person a word and reminds them of who they were created to be. That's what kindness does. Kindness lifts people up through your words. Are your words lifting people up or are they tearing people down? We live in a society where words are, they they don't really matter much anymore because People will just spew them out without even thinking or they type them out without even thinking. And, and our words are tearing people down. What if we were a people that used the powerful words that come out of our mouth to lift people up? That's what kindness does. It lifts people up. Or maybe God has uh, been so kind to you and you have, you have resources and you, you know that There's someone that's suffering. You know that there's someone in need. And so what do you do? You actually go to that person who is struggling and you use the resources that God has entrusted you with 
and you do something about it. You go to that individual that's in need and you help to meet that need. You help to lift them up out of the troubles that they're currently in. That's what kindness does. Kindness lifts people up. Scholars have wrestled with the question of why. So the question is, is what is love? And Paul uses two words to answer that question. He says that love is patient and love is kind. Like, why would Paul just use these two words to describe what love is? And I believe it's because he's given us a beautiful picture of God. This is the response of our good God. This is the gospel, church. This is exactly the gospel. This is the good news. You need to understand that our good, good God will never force himself upon you. I know there's some of us here this morning that you're exploring, you're, you're kind of seeking the things of God. You've never made that decision to follow God. You need to understand that our God will never force himself on you. Our God is patient. He's patient. He, he's waiting. He's waiting. He's ready. And for some of you who are exploring, I want you to know that God will never try to manipulate you. You see, God doesn't do that. He won't try to manipulate. He's going to be truthful with you. He's going to be upfront. He's going to let you know exactly who he is. He will not manipulate you. He will wait for you. And in that moment, when you decide and you take that step of faith and you, you make that turn towards God, God's overwhelming sense of kindness, his overwhelming grace will meet you right where you are, wherever that is. His grace will meet you right where you are and he will lift you up. That's what our good God does. He doesn't leave you where you, at, where you are in that brokenness. He lifts you up. That is good news, gang. That is good news. That is the gospel. This is what love is. Love is patient and love is kind. And now let me share with you that what love is not, okay? This is what love isn't, and it's actually a pretty big list, okay? It's much longer than what love is, and we're going to work through these, all right? So bear with me. I think it's very important for us to understand this, though, in a deeper way. Paul says that love is not envious. So what does it mean to be envious? Okay, this is a type of jealousy, like when you long for something or you covet something, you want something that your neighbor has. You're envious. Envy is that that boiling thing within you. And I believe it's one of the most dangerous vices of our day. It's this thing that like when you see your neighbor and you see what your neighbor has and it just, it eats at you from the inside. You want what your neighbor has, whatever that may be. You're envious of that. And when you're envious, you, you can't celebrate someone else's blessing. You can't celebrate God's favor upon someone else or even within the church, you're like, man, you're envious of them. Actually, you want God to take it away from them. When you're envious, you actually wish harm upon people. Man, it's a dangerous, dangerous thing. And Paul is saying that's not what love is. Love actually celebrates when we see other people succeed. We're able to cheer them on. We're able to say, like, way to go. Like, nice job. That's awesome. 
The Proverbs say that envy will rot your bones. Love isn't envious. Love can look at another person and the favor and the blessings that they have and say, good on you, man. Good for them. Love isn't boastful. Okay, You know what boastful is? Boastful is saying that the world's parade is all about me. Right? That's what boastful is. It's, it's all about you. In God's grand story, you know, God should be the central character. But when you're boastful, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they actually take a back seat. And they're like extras on the scene. But you take center stage. This story, you believe, is really all about you. But let me remind you, it's history. It's his story. It's not about you. It's about him and his glory. It's his story. And if there are moments where you're not bringing glory to God, but you're trying to bring glory to yourself, that's being boastful. And Paul says, love isn't that. Love isn't boastful. And you might sit here this morning, you might say, man, that's just not me, Justin. I'm not boastful. Have you ever been in a meeting where someone uses your idea but didn't give you the credit? Like, you're like, that was totally my idea. I just shared it with them, like, at the little water cooler thing, and and they just used it in the meeting, and they didn't give me credit. Like, they just totally stole my idea. But this idea, it's going to bless the team. It's going to bless the whole organization that you're a part of. But you can't celebrate because all you're thinking is, is that was my idea. That was mine. I want the credit. Like, I want the glory. You see, it's about you. Instead of the betterment of other people, it's boastful. And Paul is saying that's not what love is. Paul also says that love isn't prideful. Have you seen those, uh, those Halloween costumes that kids put on? And they're able to inflate, and they walk around like a big, giant sumo wrestler. Have you seen those? All right? You got to nod or something, because otherwise I think you're sleeping. I'm going to go home, okay? All right? Those big sumo wrestlers, that's what being prideful is. Okay? When you're prideful, you look like that sumo wrestler. You're you're inflated. And here's what what pridefulness is. It actually gets you to this, this actually really wicked place, this really horrible place where you say to yourself, I'm not good enough in my own skin. Like, I'm not confident in who God has made me to be. I'm not confident enough in my own skin, so I have to exaggerate the stories that I tell so that people think I'm cooler than I really am. I have to make the stories that I tell a little bit bigger, right? The fish stories, it was a little bit bigger so that people celebrate me. It's prideful. And what it is, is you're actually not confident in who God has made you to be. And I just, I want to encourage you this morning. Don't try to be like someone else. Be you. Be who God has made you to be. God made you this way on purpose. So, so be you. Be who God has made you to be. When you puff yourself up, you lose your center, you lose your grounding, you lose your footing and what real love is. And the Bible says when you're prideful, okay, you have to exaggerate, you have to make yourself look better than you really are. The Bible says you, you will topple over. It will only last for a while, but you'll be found out. Love isn't dishonorable. Love isn't disrespectful. So dishonor, when you dishonor someone, 
you shame or you attack the image of God in that person. You devalue them. That's what it means to dishonor. I have to tell you a little story. I was meeting with a couple actually downstairs in this building and uh, just trying to salvage their marriage. Their marriage was really broken. And I was, I was ready to go. I, I felt like I was prayed up and I was studied up and I was ready to, you know, to, to really help this couple as best I could. And they came in and they sat down and it was just like the, the gun, you know, signaling the start of the race. I don't know what it was, but something said start. It wasn't me. But they started going at each other. And they were saying things to each other, okay, that would make a sailor blush, okay? They were cussing at each other. They were calling each other the most foul names. And it was in the presence, like, I'm like, my gosh, you can't even hold it together in front of a pastor? Like, I'm a pastor, remember? And, and they were just ripping each other apart. True story. I'm not exaggerating, okay? So much so, I couldn't take it anymore. Like, it was stirring up emotions in me that I didn't really know what to do with. And so I got to a point where I said, Enough! Enough! Like, are you kidding me? Enough! Like, you, you, you two are dishonoring each other. You are being so disrespectful. Like, you are disrespecting the image of God in your wife. You're disrespecting the image of God in your husband. Right now, you're treating them less than human. Like, enough. Are you kidding me? Fellas, let me just say this. If, if you are calling your wife disrespectful names and, and treating her with disrespect and dishonor, that is not love. That is not love. It's something completely opposite. You need to honor her. You need to value her. You need to lift her up. You need to respect her. And same thing, ladies. If you are just using the words out of your mouth to destroy your husband, to destroy who God has made him to be, a man, are you kidding me? Come on, we we need to value one another. We need to honor one another. We need to respect one another. Love isn't dishonorable. Love isn't disrespectful. Same thing, children, with your parents. I'm I'm getting more old school. The older I get, and when I see athletes in the faces of coaches, when I see children in the faces of their parents, I don't even know. I, I don't know what to say. Like, children, honor your father and your mother. That's what the scripture says. Honor them. Respect them. Man, it's really quiet in here. Let's, let's move on. Let's move on. <clears throat> Love isn't self-seeking. Okay? Jesus says to seek first the kingdom of God. So self-seeking, it's just really self-explanatory. You're seeking after yourself. It's, it's hard to seek uh, God first when you're continually putting yourself first. And so you, you see, our job is to continually see that this is God's story. All right? That this is so much bigger than you. So much bigger than you. And try to remember that. It humbles you and it puts you in a good place. You know, we've all experienced self-seeking people. I know you have. I have. 
let me just try to explain and help us visualize what a self-seeking person is. A self-seeking person is that individual that's talking to you because they're trying to get something out of you. They're talking to you because they want to get to your boss. Or they're talking to you because you have a friend that's pretty hot, you know? And they're trying to get to your friend. Like, they're talking to you because they're using you. They have an agenda. They have ulterior motives. They're using you. That's a self-seeking person. And you see, love is not trying to force an agenda. Love isn't trying to, um, you know, manipulate. Love is about putting God first, and it's about valuing what he values the most, and that's people. It's not about using people for your own gain. It's not self-seeking. And then Paul says, love is not easily angered. Man, this, this word anger in the original language, it's, it's so fascinating. It's really amazing. It actually deals with knives <clears throat> and sharpeners. Okay, the word anger. It deals with knives and sharpeners. Anger, what anger is, is actually the emotion of fear. Anger is the emotion of fear that is being sharpened to the point of attack. That's what anger is. Anger, let me say that again, is the emotion of fear being sharpened to the point of attack. I've been practicing all morning. (laughs) Anger is actually this fear that is not dealt with. It's fear that is left inside. It's not dealt with. It's not properly handled. And what you're doing is you're sharpening that fear You're not dealing with that fear. You're not getting help to handle that fear. You're not receiving counsel or prayer. And so what you're doing is you're sharpening that fear to the point that you end up doing something you thought you would never do because that fear rises up and it lashes out. Anger is one of the biggest problems. In light of what we have recently seen in our society I believe fear is one of the biggest problems in our society because it leads to anger. It leads to this rage. And if it's not dealt with, and it's not dealt with quickly, it it spills out into all kinds of chaos and wickedness and evil. Have, Have you ever experienced that type of anger? You know, someone says something to you, and man, it hurts, it stings. And you get so frustrated and you think, man, I I have to say something back. i got to say something to them. Like this anger rises up. And so you send that email late at night, right? Gosh, people are so brave behind a computer screen. I mean, they say things behind a computer screen they would never say to your face. But you send that email late at night and it's piercing with anger. Or maybe you get so angry... You, you, you actually do say things to people's face. Like this anger has gotten to a whole nother level and, and you, you lash out with words that are intended to harm. For some of you, 
It's, it's not about a look. It's not about a word. You actually get so angry that you want to put up your fists and you want to fight. You want to fight. You get so angry that you hit something or you hit someone. What it is, is it's fear being sharpened to the point of attack. And Paul is saying, hey, hey, love isn't that. Love is not easily angered. And let me, let me just be very clear, okay? There is an emotion of fear that is real and it's not wicked. God says in his word that he gets angry at times. He gets angry at evil, at wickedness. He gets angry. But it's what you do with that anger that is so critical, that is so important. You have to deal with it quickly. Otherwise, it will grow into things that you never intended it to be. Paul also says that love is not a scorekeeper. Okay, it doesn't keep records of wrongs. And once again, I'm, I'm just using the example of marriage, but you know, I've sat with some of you who are married and I've asked you questions like, man, how do you know when your marriage is going right? And and you'll respond by saying, you know, when, when she does this and this and this and this and this. And, and then I'll say, well, how do you know when your marriage is going wrong? When, when she doesn't do that and that and that and that and that. That's scorekeeping. Okay, that's what it is. You're keeping score. It's, it's just like this scoreboard right here. That's, that's basically what you're doing. Okay? You're keeping score of... You know, is she winning? Is he winning? Are they winning? I, I've done two nice things for her, so now it's her turn, you know? It's her turn to show me something. You know, we're, we're keeping score. This happens way too much in our marriages, in our business relationships, in our interactions with people. All we're doing is keeping score. And if it ends up that someone is in the positive, then, man, we're going to give back to them. We're going to show them love. I'm going to... I'm going to be like on their side. But man, if, if I kind of had a negative experience or if someone just, you know, ah, I didn't get the vibe, you know, I didn't, I, it was negative. Man, I am shutting them down. There is a wall now and I am not going to speak to them. I'm not going to look at them. They ain't getting nothing from me, right? What that is, is this, it's just good, old-fashioned scorekeeping. And Paul says love doesn't keep score. Doesn't keep score. Lastly, love does not delight in evil. Okay, here's what, here's what evil is. Evil is co-opted good. And let me explain what I mean by that. Think about words like power, sex, and money. Beautiful things things that God created. But when the innocence or the integrity of those three words get into the wrong hands, the good of those three words can be co-opted for the negative. There are so many people who delight in co-opted good. And Paul says, love doesn't do that. You see, love, what it does is it protects the innocence and the integrity of what those three words mean. Power sex, and money. Love does not delight in evil. So what, is, so what does love do? So we've talked about what love is. We talked about what love isn't. And, and as we uh, kind of get ready to land this plane here, we're going to talk about what, it, what love does. 
This is what love does. Paul says love rejoices in the truth. Okay, we, we need to be the kind of church, we need to be the kind of people that celebrate all the time. We need to be celebrating in the truth. We need to celebrate when we see redemption, when we see life, when we see someone whose life is being transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. We need to celebrate that. We need to celebrate when the truth has been received or when the truth has been owned, when the truth is actually transforming someone's life. And when we see the truth, we should celebrate it. That's what love does. Paul says, love always protects. Love always protects. I have four boys and a beautiful wife. My family, I would give my life for them. I would give my life for them. Anywhere, anytime, I would give my life for them because I love them and I want to protect them. And it doesn't just mean physically, it means spiritually. The actual word protect in the original language, it actually meant a roof or a covering, a shelter. And that's my job as, as, as Trisha's husband, as the boy's father. My, my job is to provide that covering, that shelter. And it's not just a literal roof. It's actually spiritually too. My job is to protect them spiritually. Gosh, I need to be lifting them up in prayer. I need to be encouraging them with my words. I need to make sure that I'm not owned by my job and that I spend time with them. I need to provide that covering spiritually. And you guys, I, I have to challenge you this morning because there's many of us that say, gosh, I don't even pray with my wife. And honestly, I've heard excuses like this. I don't pray with her because I don't know what to say. It's embarrassing. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So you're just going to let the enemy just walk right into your house and destroy your marriage and destroy your family? Like, come on, man. We got to man up. We got to cover our family with prayer. We got to read the scriptures with them. We got to have spiritual conversations. We got to talk with them. We got to encourage them. We got to lift them up. We gotta always protect. Always. Always. Love always protects. And then love always trusts. To be honest with you, I, I had a tough one. I had a tough time with this one. Okay? Let me just be transparent with you. I don't trust people very well. Like you, I've had things happen in my life where it's hard for me to trust people. So when I, when I read this phrase that love always trusts, I honestly don't understand it. I don't, I don't understand how you could always trust someone. I don't get it. Oh, did the pastor just say that? Yeah, I don't get it. Here, here's where I landed, okay? There is one person that I trust explicitly and has never, ever let me down, and that's God. And so what I've committed to do is I've committed to start right there. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust him, and I'm going to let him work in me and, and, and help me figure this out. And I just want to encourage you. I know some of you have gone through some things, some experiences. You've been abused and hurt by people in, in horrific ways. 
And so when we just read something like love always trusts, it, I know it doesn't make sense to you either. But I'm going to encourage you as your pastor to start with God. Start there. Okay? You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't. But just start with God. Trust him. He is faithful. He's good. He's for you. He's not against you. Start there. And then let him work it out. Let him teach you. Let him show you. Love always hopes. Hope is a vision of what could be. It's a vision of what what is possible because of God. Man, we can't lose hope. We have to stay focused on what could be. Love always perseveres. What perseverance means is it's this. We won't stop doing everything we can until we see that vision realized. Whatever that vision of a better future, of a preferred future, I'm going to stay focused on that, and I'm not going to stop until I see that vision realized. That's perseverance. We don't quit. It never stops. We, We stay focused on that preferred future. Love doesn't give up. It doesn't quit. We never stop praying. We we never stop hoping. And we say this. We say, God, please, I believe in your power. I believe you can change a person's heart. I believe that they can own their struggle, that they can own their past, they can own their addiction. I believe anything is possible with you, God. That's perseverance. And then lastly, Paul says that love never fails. And when you believe that, when you truly believe that love never fails, you will have no problem going all in. You'll have no problem. So that's what love is. That's what love is not. And that's what love does. And as I close this morning and, and I bring us back to that one thing that we talked about last Sunday that you can do for your neighbors today, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians. This is the one thing that you can do for people. Right now, today, it says value others. You can value them because they're worth it. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. You see, here's the call. Here's the challenge from Jesus Christ. The call, the challenge is to put our love into action, to not just be words, but to actually do something with that love. And you need to make a decision. It's not about the fuzzy feelings. It's about a decision. It's about a choice. You have to decide to love, decide to forgive, decide to accept, to bless, to respect. Decide to be an inspiration to others. And make that decision always. Just decide that. Because God's greatest treasure is people. As a matter of fact, you have never looked into the eyes of someone that does not matter to God, ever. He loves people. He cares for them. So let's be the kind of people who step out of our insecurities, out of our embarrassment, out of the awkwardness, and we take a step to love people well. Let's be that type of a church. Let's be that type of a people. Let's look into people's eyes and let's genuinely care about them and what they're going through and what they're facing. Let's notice people. Let's not be in such a hurry or so busy that we just look over people. Let's notice them and what they're facing. Let's extend love to people. And maybe that means you get a turquoise table and you sit it in your front yard and you just say, God, I'm I'm ready. I'm willing to do whatever you lead me to do.
I'm going to close in prayer this morning and